Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's Friday, Friday, gotta get down on Friday. Welcome to the IGN UK podcast with me, Simon Cardi, and it's a double Matt special again. First up, we've got Matt Jones, hello. Welcome to Matt Sandwich, Cardi. Hello, thank you very much. Matt Perslow, uh, hello. are you a lovely slice of wholemeal right now, or are you, uh, what, uh, what are you feeling? No, I see myself more as kind of like a, like maybe like a malted rye or something like Ooh, that. Oh, okay. You are quite rye uh, <laughs> as, as a person, I suppose. I feel are like you? I'm kind of know. pitta bread, like, you know, a got a rough exterior. That's a weird but sandwich if I've got malted me. rye on one side and a pitta on the other. That is an odd <laughs> sandwich. Never, I've never thought about making a sandwich with two different types of bread. That's, yeah. Has it ever been done? Mm. I mean, you can get a, like, best of both bread, can't you, where they mix white and, uh, like, a whole bit. Whole I bit, guess whole meal. In, to a very minor element, maybe the Taco Bell crunch wrap is sort of this, in that it's of. got crunchy tortilla and soft tortilla. Yeah, or the, um, I think we talked about, well, I don't know if Tesco still do it, their uh, like Christmas sandwich, which is like a brioche roll with a Yorkshire pudding in it. That's gross, though. That's really <laughs> bad. But is it, though? It, yeah, is it's it, horrible. Though? Or does it taste fantastic? Um, <laughs> that Hasn't gravy that got, mayo. Like, gr- yeah, gravy mayo. That's, oh, that's it grotesque. Works. Yeah. It works. Um, anyway, I don't do you know, know who else loved the genius. Do you know who else Tesco? loved <laughs> <laughs> to be the ones that come up with that? Do you know who loved uh, making things like gravy mayo? Uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer. He's <laughs> mm, the inventor of, of the <laughs> gravy things. mayo. That is his most um, famed feat. We are going to talk. What are we going to do this week? We're going to talk about Oppenheimer. We're also going to rank IGN UK's top 10 Nolan films. I've got uh, rankings from everyone that I've kept secret, so no one apart from me knows what this list is for ranking the Nolan films. So that'll be lovely. And we can talk a bit about each of those. And we've got a few games we've been playing. We've got a brief talk about. What a bumper, lovely show. First up, though, uh, we haven't seen Barbie. We'll talk about Barbie next week because none of us have had the chance to see it yet. But I am very excited to see Barbie. And that'll be next week. So if you're expecting Barbie chat, I'm sorry. You have to wait a week. Um, but we will talk about... to do a Barbenheimer episode. It would have been, you exactly. know, for posterity. But, but uh, Maybe we can yeah, like, Warner Brothers. <laughs> Not yeah. inviting us. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's almost like, you know, one of those is one side of that sandwich. They're two different bits of bread, and I want to be in the middle of that Barbenheimer sandwich. Um, but let's talk about Oppenheimer. I'll, I'll set the stage. If you don't know what Oppenheimer is, it is a biopic film of J. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb, set during World War II, directed by Christopher Nolan, who I'm sure many of you know who that is. Um it's as much a film about the creation of the bomb as it is the man himself. A surprising amount of this film is actually takes place in courtrooms and little rooms like post the atomic bomb. It's as much a Cold War film as it is an ato- a World War II atomic bomb film. And it's kind of, I suppose, the shorthand if you're looking for a way this film is structured because, you know, Christopher Nolan never likes to keep things linear. He's going to dart all around the place. Think the social network. If all the Jesse Eisenberg courtroom scenes are kind of them going through the story, it's a little bit like that, but slightly more complex. Um, 
that's kind of setting the scene for this film. I'll, I'll talk to you. Only me and Matt J have seen this so far. Matt P, I'm sorry, you, you, you have to wait, but I think it's worth the wait. Matt, let's, what, what do you think about this film first? I know you're a little cooler on it than me. Yeah, I don't think it rates among my favourites that he's produced, but I did uh, very much enjoy the time with it. I think that um, a lot of people have cooled on the latter half of the film, which I actually think is some of the most interesting stuff that happens in it. Like Some of the reviews have said that it does Mm -hmm. what it intends to and then kind of continues for a little while. But I think that the structure of that last little bit of the film is about Mm -hmm. the pettiness and smallness of the people that get to make the decision of what happens with this gigantic thing. Mm -hmm. Like, he's changed the world and has put it in the hands of fallible people, and it's dealing with the consequences for all of that. And the it's stuff very that- much. It's like it's like a serious Doctor Strange love in a way. If you've seen that, I will say we're not going to spoil this film as much as you can't spoil uh, an eighty-year-old historical <laughs> yeah, it event. It did happen. We're not previously. gonna. We're not gonna spoil it because there are things people won't know. There are things in this film like I'm a big like Cold War like history. This is like my era. I love this sort of stuff like McCarthyism and all that. Like I really love studying that at school. Um, but like there are things here I didn't know. So like there will be like you know there are things to spoil despite it being a story. But we're not going to do that. So mm-hmm. don't worry. Um, but yeah, sorry, Matt, carry on. Yeah, of course. I think that that's the part that really, the more that I think about the film afterwards, like you'll hear everybody talk about, uh, and you did an um, amazing interview with uh, the, the man you. himself, Chris Nolan, that you can watch about the production of the uh, Trinity test um, mm. that I thought was great. Like it's a grand spectacle and you'll hear a, a lot about that. But I think that you won't hear so much about the, the small scenes of character interaction. The, yeah, uh, uh, amazing performance by Robert Downey Jr. as well in this. Like he's um, he is he's my like I think everyone in this film the acting is like on point. But obviously, Killian Murphy as Oppenheimer as the lead like does a lot and is very very good. But yeah, I think I agree with you. Robert Downey Jr. for me like stole every scene mm-hmm. he was in. Like this is the best I've ever seen him act. Like yeah, he's he's very good. It, it'd be difficult to say that he's done anything better. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Gary, um, Gary Oldman in a tiny little scene, like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gary all Oldman popping up. Um, mm. All, all, all the Nolan favorites. I will. Is this a spoiler? No, Michael Caine. I'm afraid. It's yeah, sure. No, Michael Caine scene. Um, I'm, 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 I'm hotter on this film than you think. I'm at. Mm. Uh, I, I think this is a borderline masterpiece. I, I absolutely love this film. I've only seen it once. I need to see it again because it is a very dense film. It's a three-hour film that goes at a pace. Like despite it being not an action-heavy film, like there's a lot of talking and it keeps it going. Like you're going through the years, you're going like, especially the middle hour where it's all kind of centered around the Trinity test and the bomb itself. Like that just flies by, and the tension they manage, like the tension they manage to create on an event, you know exactly how it's gonna go. Like if you know anything about history, you know that this, you know, this bomb test is gonna, you know, what the result of it's gonna be. But they still somehow manage to keep that tension that at any point they could destroy the world. <coughs> Which you know, you know that's the big thing at play. Have they, have they really destroyed the world uh, by uh, not actually destroying it? But um, I just this film has like so many great films, and I think that's why inside it, that's why I love it so much. Like it is kind of I tweeted this when I first saw it. Like it is weird. The Prestige is the film of his that it reminds me of the most, and I, I think totally it's because it's got yeah. like it's got kind of like the warring between like people it's almost like if you've seen amadeus it's a little bit like that relationship um at the core of this film i don't want to spoil who that's between but um it's just 
I just love it in the way the kind of prestige is kind of like a courtroom drama to a point where they're reading their diaries and looking back. So it's it's kind of structured similarly to that. It's also got quite a little bit of there will be blood to it, not only because it's a man on a mission building a whole village in in a like a New Mexico desert to try and uh, do uh, do a project. Um, but yeah, I just. Like I said, like the acting is on point. I think if there's one, if there's a couple of things over Nolan's career that people have kind of always like pinpointed that he doesn't do too well, is a like bring an emotion into his films, which I don't actually agree with. I think not all of his films do it, but I think Inception does have an emotional core to it. Interstellar is a fully emotional film to me, and like that is one where I think he did actually prioritize emotion over plot to an extent and that's why it gets a little bit messy but i think like yeah uh in stellar hits and for me we'll talk about these later but dunkirk i don't think there's a film that is guaranteed to make me tear up more than dunkirk like that is a hugely emotional film to me and that's not really done through it's done all through music and like action really like he's just i think i really do think he does that stuff well and while Oppenheimer doesn't, at no point was I close to tearing up in Oppenheimer. It hits you in a different sort of way emotionally. I think like it when it finishes, you do kind of feel empty inside, and but in a good way. <laughs> I don't know how like it's you've the been scale entertained. Of the world that you've just been presented with exactly like, over, you've over been... the course of that amount of time, you've gotten like the very lows and the very like highs yeah. of what humanity is capable of over the over the course of three hour movie you're presented yeah, like, with all of that at once and you just kind of have to sit with it for a little bit exactly and it's just i i, I think it's like yeah a borderline masterpiece and i haven't really talked about the score ludwig goranson's score he is like he is like top of the tree now for me for composers like his score for tenet is unbelievable like tenet itself maybe not brilliant but the score is unbelievable and it's specifically the use of quiet and as soon as you see the film you'll completely understand but when it chooses to not have any score whatsoever is just as important it's yeah, yeah completely essential um and the other thing i was gonna say uh pe- people have a go of not being a motion film also he's never really been able to get a good grasp on his female characters at all or give them a real good script i'd say or <laughs> sure. a good arc I will say this has Florence Pugh and Emily Blunt in as two characters. One, Florence Pugh is very good, but she is much more used, I'd say, as a yeah, not she's plot device. She's a real character, and these and real things dynamic, happened. Yeah. Like, she is kind of another burden to Oppenheimer's life, ultimately, I think, on his mind. Whereas I think Emily Blunt actually, especially in the last like hour, half an hour of this film, really comes into it and like steals some scenes, like. Emily Blunt is fantastic in this film. Especially during the deposition. It's like some of the, like, the best dialogue is during her scene during the Mm -hmm. deposition. Like, yeah, yeah, it's really, really good. I I, I can't wait to see this film again because, like I said, it's so dense. It goes by so quickly for a three-hour film that there's things I will have missed there and knowing how it all turns out. And it does, for a weird film that's historically based, it does kind of two-thirds of the way through have that Nolan, like and here's what was happening all along like twist thing and you're like oh my god so <laughs> yes, like it, like it, if you don't it is it is bizarre how he's managed to do that with a true story and i just think yeah i i absolutely love this film like we'll do in our we'll do our group rankings in a bit but my personal rankings this is like number three on my nolan film i think it's very 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 good it's number um, five for me but we'll talk about that a little yeah. bit more 
Yeah. So I have a question in regards Go to on. it. Kind of links into kind of uh, not necessarily criticisms of Nolan, but like uh, examinations of his style. Mm. And uh, Nolan has largely been someone that paints his characters in kind of slightly broader strokes because yes. he's more of a conceptual uh, storyteller where kind of like, you know, I agree with you that I think he can do emotion very well, but the emotion is more of a concept rather than kind of like necessarily yeah. like in Dunkirk, for example, there are no characters in Dunkirk. They're all kind of archetypes that are designed to bring the emotions mm -hmm. associated with those experiences out. And I think he does that, you know, that's a lot of what Interstellar is based on. And that's a lot, a lot of the emotion in um, Inception comes from as well. Yeah. I get the impression that really for Oppenheimer, it has to be a much more distinct character-based study where yes. the characters are dealt with in much more nuance. Because ultimately... The story isn't surely isn't about the making of the nuclear bomb. It's the all of the pain and regret and it's, it's, questioning yeah, it's that comes with it. It's about Oppenheimer himself. Like mm -hmm. this is definitely the most character-based film he's ever done. Like even Dunkirk, which is a his only other non-fiction film, is very much like you said. Like the events are true, but everything within it is fictionalized, and those mm -hmm. characters didn't really exist. So I know what you mean. Like the emotion is more connect connected to moment rather than like relating to a character and grander feeling right like you yeah. are like like killian murphy's character in dunkirk like the shivering mm. soldier is is representative of like an entire feeling that so many soldiers on that beach had whereas in this we're dealing with people that you know oppenheimer's mm -hmm. kind of like whilst his greatest worldwide legacy is the idea of kind of like he's the guy that made the reality of of the atomic mm -hmm. bomb but like if you read into him like he's a man that like was quite naive in a way like he thought that this yeah. building this would end war forever and I think so that comes across like he good. i think he does mm -hmm. obviously not knowing the man himself um yeah. i think he does quite a good job at painting a picture you can definitely like it's hard to make a biopic and be completely objective right you have to kind of put your own mm -hmm. spin on it and paint it just like documentary you can't you know to a way like you're always kind of gonna lean one way with like whether it's a louis through documentary he's always Absolutely. gonna be sympathetic or something like yeah. and i do think you get the sense from this that nolan while obviously thinking a large portion of this is abhorrent also has a lot of sympathy for oppenheimer i think ultimately he comes down on that side of it not too heavy, but mm -hmm. I do think the way this film ends, you are meant to feel more on Oppenheimer's side in all. Yeah. Of oh yeah, this. I, I absolutely have no issue. Yeah, I'm yeah. not looking for a film that hangs no, a no, man yeah, just yeah. for what he did. What I want is a film that is about individual character rather than yeah. the wider. I do scope. think you get that, and mm -hmm. I think you get an understanding of him as a man as much you can do in three hours. Um, I think a lot of that is down to Killian Murphy, who is just superb. Like it is great to see him in the lead role in a Nolan film. I know he's been waiting a while for this, but yeah, he is absolutely astonishing, I think. But yeah, I think... I, I'm looking forward to hearing what you think about it, Matt, because I know you're also a big Nolan fan. And I do, I like do the like similar the sorts. Yeah, and the same sort of Nolan films to me as well, because there are different types of Nolan films, which I suppose is a lovely segue to talk about other Nolan films. Um, obviously, IGN UK... Uh, IGN underscore UK... Pog well, I've completely got it. Oh my god. IGN underscore UK feedback. I've how have I forgotten this email address I've said about five thousand times in my life? Oh my good god. IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN dot com. 
there we go. If you've seen Oppenheimer, let us know what you think. Um, and and maybe Barbie where too. it ranks. Maybe we'll do that yeah. next week. Exactly, yeah. We'll read out some Barbie emails next week. That'll be fantastic. Um, let's get to our Nolan rankings. What I did here is I asked everyone who wanted to participate on our team um, to send in their favorite their their rankings of Nolan films wherever you'd only seen like seven of them or all 12 of them or whatever I will say this doesn't include Oppenheimer because only me and Matt have seen it so what's the point of asking everyone to rank Oppenheimer when they haven't seen it but um that'd be funny though it'd be funny to get yeah. a list before and after they've seen it yeah not only not everyone's seen every film so I've kind of had to do a little bit of weird mathematics here just like Oppenheimer really um to try and work out this ranking <laughs> it's, gonna, um, it's gonna have the same consequence <laughs> exactly so let's get straight into it um he's made 12 films if you include Oppenheimer so we'll we're gonna rank 11 do you know what? I, I did 11 and I was gonna do top 10 but you might as well just add them all because actually tied at the bottom are both insomnia and following um <laughs> Have you, really, have you seen Insomnia or Following? You I know? have not. These are the two that I haven't seen. Oh, okay. Well, I actually think I'm the only one who's seen all of his films, so I should probably talk about Insomnia and Following. Which, do you know what? It's it's rare that you... These are, his, these are his two worst films, I think. But even that, I would say, they're like six and sevens. They're not bad films by any means. I don't think he's ever made a truly bad film. Um, but yeah, if you don't know what following is, he made it's the very first film he made. Like he kind of shot it on like evenings while doing it like part time as a job. It's a noir film that follows. It's kind of like a noir crime thriller set in London. It's okay, you know. I wouldn't go seek it out desperately, but it's a decent thriller. Um, same with Insomnia. It's a remake of I want to say Norwegian, but I might be wrong. Let me. It is weird that he did a remake. You wouldn't strike as a man who did a remake, would you? Um, let me find. I don't want to get the country this was remade from. I think it is Norwegian, yep. Um, starring, for his second ever film, starring Al Pacino and Robin Williams. Um, pretty good. Like This is his like first ever real, like I suppose, big film, because following's barely... You know, it's it's kind of a low budget indie film, really, but it's an okay like noir again, like noir thriller that is set in Alaska. It's kind of got. It actually reminds me of what the upcoming season of True Detective might be a little bit like. If you've seen the trailer for the Jodie Foster one, it's kind of like some people hunting a killer in um an Alaskan town. Again, though, I wouldn't seek it out. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. I don't have a lot to say about Insomnia, to be honest. Hilary Swank's pretty good in it. Um, I think this basically can be summed up by the fact of it took Spielberg two films to get to Jaws. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. These two films, eh, watch them if you want, if you want to be a Nolan purist, but I, I wouldn't go uh, too heavy on it. Let's get into the ones that, you know, pe- everyone's, well, not everyone's seen, but most people's seen. Number nine on our list. So that was following Insomnia Tied at 10, by the way. And number nine, we do have Tenet coming in at nine which is a little bit lower than I'd have it, but not by much. Um, Matt, I know you've... Uh, maybe you have something to get off your chest here, because I know you reviewed Tenant. It's did. a hard thing to review a film, especially so what, when you see it uh, I mean, kind of like, you know, if anybody remembers us talking about Tenant on the podcast, I yeah. reviewed it, but also was in the tough situation where, which some film companies unfortunately put us in in that i had to review it in about four hours um i didn't have a very long time and i i gave it an eight at the time which i think is is it's in slightly, hindsight I'd give it a seven 
you know. Yeah, I think I would have given it a seven in hindsight. And there, there are there were definitely things that I got wrong in that. I say got wrong, but in hindsight, I believe that my opinion has shifted on mm-hmm. it. And maybe if I'd had a little bit longer time, that maybe I would have scored it slightly differently. Um, but one of the things I wrote is I thought that Ludwig Göransson's um, oh, oh dear, I said his score felt like a, a an imitation of Zimmer, and like that's that's just not true with a lot of hindsight. <laughs> but also one of those things that really I only learned after listening to that score, kind of like in isolation I to mean, a certain yeah, it's extent. It's hard to it's hard to like like I think film opinions like I find this change over time more than game opinions like mm-hmm. if I play a game I kind of know what inst- pretty instantly what, how I feel so about it you get so much time though in because exactly. a game is you're, you're with it for a longer time right mm-hmm. even, even within the space of a film you don't necessarily get that kind of downtime in it to consider while you're watching it how you're feeling of it whereas yeah. games ebb and flow so much that you do get a little bit of downtime frequently in a game to consider what yeah. your feeling is and you're going to be playing it for about 10 hours anyway i do think there is a lot to enjoy in tenet i think it looks amazing the actual concept like i'm a sucker for a spy thriller and it is mm-hmm. a decent spy thriller he's it's definitely the one where he got a bit too clever for his own good i and think the the one criticism that i well I, I put several criticisms in the review actually um and the one that i think i definitely still hugely stand by is it goes to the point where the concept becomes so like ephemeral to a certain degree mm-hmm. so kind of like high concept without any real kind of like reality borders mm-hmm. inception it's so clear what inception is it's a heist film and each room of the heist as you work your way through like the casino or the bank is a different layer of the dream tenant doesn't have that it doesn't have kind of like a, a concrete grasp of what its concept is and whilst it means it has moments that look very, very cool, it ultimately means that you don't have the satisfaction of being able to, like, visualise how the concept works. Yeah. It's a shame, because like, I think John David Washington is very, very good in it, and Robert Pattinson. Robert like, those Pattinson's two together great are, in it. Are brilliant. Mm-hmm. And there's certain scenes I will rewatch, but, yeah, like, I think this is the one where we talked about earlier, you could level the most at him of just... This film doesn't have characters. It is no. all just architects. The lead character is called the, the protagonist. protagonist yeah. like, and like, Which it doesn't earn, honestly. No, no. There is like, this is quite an emotionally dulled film. Like, I don't feel anything when I watch the film. I'm kind of exhilarated every now and then. But yeah. like, and then, and like, you know, yeah. when we talk about kind of like uh, Nolan's scripting letting down its female characters, like Elizabeth Debicki's character in this really mm. is just a plot point wrapped up in a dress, basically. Yeah. And then you've got Kenneth Branagh's uh, <laughs> accent, which is a choice. He uh, He's also in Oppenheimer as Niels Bohr, by the oh, way, which ooh. doing a slightly better accent, actually. Um, but still, you're like, Kenneth, what are you doing? <laughs> I just think he, he just loves doing that. I think he's seeking out roles where he can yeah. do weird accents. <laughs> he just he will never stop being Poirot now, will he? Yeah. yeah. He's just in his Daniel Craig era of, I'm <laughs> going to do silly voices. Um, but yeah, Tenant is... I think I'd have it like one above that on my list, but yeah, I wouldn't have it much, much above. But yeah, there's some great stuff, including the score. The opening is amazing, that like opera house. Oh scene. God, yeah. It's yeah. amazing. And and just the, the moments where you get the backwards kind of like almost, uh, it's like, you know, the voices in Twin Peaks that go backwards. It's like seeing that, but in action yeah, format. Yeah. Do you, how do you feel about Tenet? Fairly similar, Matt? It's it's fine. I do think the spectacle stuff is really good in it. Like I, I even think that the scene where they're uh, fighting themselves and it's shot as if they're just like uh, attacking, but actually they're just trying yeah. to escape mm-hmm. is is really interesting. 
Um, but nah, it's it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't agree. I wouldn't go that far. But within the space of a sentence, yeah. we've gone from it's okay to it sucks. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's me. In a, yeah, that's that's uh, what I do. <laughs> I just I just remember watching it going, eh, but still thankful that there is someone in the world making these films. So yeah, that's I'll always be thankful for that. Um, that's number nine. Number eight, we have the Dark Knight Rises, which I think is fair enough. Again, I think like a seven, a perfectly fine film. It's just following on from the dark night it was always going to be a tough job wasn't it especially that is when its you... difficulty yeah exactly. any other like without the uh, having any of the other lineage behind it i think it holds up as a perfectly fine film but he's made two better ones That's, yeah especially yeah. when you've got the specter of heath ledger unfortunately passing and then everyone thinking oh like i can't wait to see what happens in the third one when they tie off with joker and we'll never get to see that it's just he was put in a tough spot, wasn't he, with this one? And I don't, th- again, there's a lot to enjoy in this film. I did rewatch a bit recently and I forgot just how ridiculous Tom Hardy as Bane is. Like, how <laughs> that voice is laughable. But, like, at the time I was like, oh, this is kind of threatening. But now I watched and I was like, this is like, why did they choose to do that? It sounds voice? a bit like Kenneth Williams with yeah, a robot really, mask on. <laughs> the more does, I thought about it, the more odd it is. It does mean <laughs> that it allowed the uh, parody version of it within uh, the Holly oh, Quinn, Quinn TV. Yeah, yeah. which mm-hmm. is some of the best. Like, the, It's the reason that that show exists for me, really. <laughs> Bane voice. He um he does know how to open a film, though, and that like um plane sequence like is amazing. Again, like another great use of practical effects. He he is great yeah. at that, and it does it ties up the story fairly well, I think. Yeah, I think I think almost this one feels like it's a bit at war with the two aspects that um, Nolan sets up in the fact that kind of Batman Begins is much more kind of like even though it's a very very modern and quote unquote realistic interpretation of Batman. It's much more reliant on comic book elements than The Dark Knight is. The Dark Knight really is his own deal. And this one, because it bring it, it wants to come full circle, right? Like it brings the Ra's al Ghul stuff back with Talia. And it goes quite comic book at the end with like the race against time to stop a nuclear bomb. All yeah. of that feels quite different to the very heavy sort of like realistic investigation into vigilantism that is the second film. And I think kind of like that last kind of chunk of it falls off. Um, but I do think there's lots of really interesting things to do with Bane's kind of like assault on Wall Street and all of that kind of style yeah, stuff. There's no money here. Why are yeah. you here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I should have done Bane voice for that. Yeah. I love the, the bit that um, Nolan says during your interview with him, by the way, about how in The Dark Knight Rises, the atomic bomb going off is a moment of relief for the audience. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to totally change the perspective on that. Yeah, like his, him making that point was like, oh, you, you're good. <laughs> you're... He thinks about everything, doesn't he? Yeah. So. He's quite good at making films. Mm. Um, let's stay in Batman land. Number seven, Batman Begins. A very good film. We're getting into, like, from here onwards, pretty much all bangers, really, to be mm. fair. Um, Batman Begins. I haven't watched this in a while. I might watch this weekend, actually. I'm going to go on a bit of a Nolan binge, I think. But I remember at the time when it first came out, I think maybe I was a little bit young to fully appreciate what he was doing with it and thinking, oh, this is cool. But like, I like the super villains, like Razo Ghoul and Scarecrow. Eh, they're not my favourite. I want like Joker and like Penguin mm-hmm. and things. In hindsight, like we're watching Oppenheimer as well, like Killian Murphy's Scarecrow is, is brilliant in this film. So, so this was the film 
that got me back into I was into Batman as a kid. I had like all the Batmobile stuff and I used to watch the animated series. And I loved the Burton one when I was a kid, um, but I hadn't watched. And arguably, you know, that's understandable, right? Like the the mm-hmm. Schumer uh, films were duff. Schumacher, yeah. Um, and but I, I hadn't really followed any Batman comics at that time. But this, I remember, what my my history teacher put the first hour on when we just not got anything to do in history one day. Um, and I watched Which is that weird because history keeps happening, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's almost you'd never run out of it. <laughs> exactly, weird. I mean, maybe maybe she recognised that Nolan was making history with his interpretation <laughs> sure. of Batman. I'm just like I'm jealous of all the kids now who get to study the Cold War and stuff, and now get to watch Oppenheimer at school. Mm. Like that's a whole afternoon. What, oh, what a treat! Uh, but yeah, kind of seeing this interpretation, and I think kind of at the time because the MCU project hadn't booted up at this point it was special in the fact that like it was very clearly something different to the raimi spider-man films but it hadn't necessarily because we weren't in the era of comic book movies it couldn't really show how different it was but in hindsight this really is a special kind of like idea and you mentioned the mcu as well it's interesting that i think it's two like a year or two before batman begins um, DC actually rejected Joss Whedon's pitch for a Batman reboot, mm. which could have been much more like the you know the Avengers yeah. style. Well, stuff. That, that's his vibe, right? Like he's exactly. partially responsible for the MCU. Um, vibes. So I'm glad they went this way with it for many reasons. But um, I need to watch this film again. But I do again. Like he he, ha- he put his own. This is actually fairly linear, linearly told for a, for a Nolan film. Most of the Batman films are really those are the ones that keep it in check. But it does bring in some of his twist elements which is a really cool twist i think i did i didn't see it coming the first time i saw it um with the whole razor ghoul mm-hmm. reveal um yeah i need to i need it, to revisit it's also the i think it's the the real start of his stamp of creating what we consider now as kind of like the the complex smart blockbuster film mm-hmm. it is a it is a it is a film about a man that dresses as a bat that goes around that has like historic ip people like it people like scarecrow people like all of that comic book stuff but it is it is a proper you know in many ways it's a little bit of a deconstruction of what the batman myth is mm-hmm. but it's smart about it you know it, it it's put together and it it puts trust in its audience to follow you know that twist of Razagul. it puts faith in the audience to watch a film that at the time was very long you know all films are this two and a half hours long now but at the time this was a big long mm-hmm. film that put trust in its audience and i think yeah that it's where you really see nolan as a kind of like blockbuster filmmaker come together yeah very very good film there we go that's the number seven number six is Memento, and I realise I made the mistake saying Insomnia was his second film earlier, whereas in fact Memento is his second film, and I'm a fool. <laughs> um, again, I haven't seen Memento in a while, but what a just, like, him and his brother wrote it together, and for your, like, first, well, second film, pro- first proper, you know, film, what an incredible screenplay. Like, I can't even, this was one of the first ones I remember watching this when I was, I don't know, 15, 14, when I was really getting into properly getting into film, like and doing media studies at school and thinking about like, oh, maybe I'd like to make films. Never have, but you know, and just like looking at the screenplay for this and being like, how 
do you write this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I how does this come together? I had a really similar experience with watching this at, like, a really young age as well. And, like, recognising that I don't think that a film had made me feel like that before. Like, yeah. using the language of film in order to tell a story that you probably, you probably only really could through a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, why have you chosen to use this medium over anything else? It yeah. really, really stuck with me. It's worth um, if, pointing at this point. Like, if anybody hasn't watched Memento, yeah, it's, to- it's told backwards, right? In reverse. And what is, I, my yeah. fun story from this is, um, so I watched this when I was about 18, maybe. It was just before I went to university, I think. Um, and my friend had watched it and said it was shit and didn't understand why anybody had been speaking about it. <laughs> and it turns out that she had got a pirate copy of it. Oh, and what they'd done no. was they pirated... <laughs> On the bonus extras on the DVD, you can watch the film in yeah. the correct order. Great. Well, the chronological <laughs> order, yeah. Like, yeah, if you don't, this film is basically, yeah, it played in reverse, but through the eyes of Guy Pierce's character, who is an amnesiac, and basically is trying to piece together what has happened to him over the past, like, week or so, is it? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not even that long, maybe. But, um, and there's, like, he's got, like, Sharpie drawings on his body. He's got, like, pictures, and it's just, it's just expertly constructed like for this to be your like second film like how old was he when he did this this was 2000 uh, he was third he was 29 30 yeah. when he made this it makes you sick <laughs> <laughs> frankly it's like when i look at paul thomas anderson doing that old blood when he's 30 i'm like grow up <laughs> you know well yes he's grown up much more than me basically um but yeah this doesn't have like it has the hallmarks of an Nolan film and as much as the non-linear narrative and the reveals and the twists, it doesn't really have any of like the action that you come to expect because for such a cerebral like filmmaker, he is actually... A lot of his films are just action films. They're, they're like, he's a great films. action filmmaker. Yeah. This, yeah. is, this is the clear kind of... This could have been what Nolan could have become, right? A more of mm. a... You say a cerebral, more of a... It's like an Aronofsky sort yeah, of kind of yeah, kind of like a filmmaker filmmaker in that way of that kind yeah. of like wanky people like to claim is <laughs> the only way that you can make films. But the thing that I think is the most impressive thing about Nolan is he takes that and he brings it into what is ultimately mainstream cinema, but keeps mainstream cinema like actively interesting. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna rewatch this one this weekend as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a tear with these. But um yeah, very good film memento we're in the top five number five interstellar i love this film um despite having it at fifth in my rankings uh (laughs) it's still very very good like it i think we're the ones that have this highest me and you matt i think everyone else had it a little bit lower and it's funny Um, because i still have like some sharp criticisms against interstellar oh it's not oh it's by no means a perfect film but up until Dunkirk, it was the film that hit me emotionally the most. I, I like all this film. I know a lot of people have problems in the last maybe half an hour of this film where mm-hmm. it goes yeah. and how so accused it goes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I actually have problems with the last like two minutes of this film, but I'm not going to spoil it for people who haven't seen it. Because uh, I don't think you've seen it, right, Matt? I haven't. Um, it's... I... Just, again, we're talking about he knows how to get a good score, and this is when he was like at the end of his like simmer uh, collaboration shit, collaboration period, and the score for this is unbelievable. The effects are unbelievable. It looks amazing. Again, I think the story and it is and the emotional parts of it hit for the most part. But yeah, I can understand why people think 
it goes a little bit off the rails. He's tried to make 2001, which is his favourite film. He's stated multiple times, and he doesn't quite get there with yeah, it. Yeah, I, th- I think it's kind of like this idea of kind of almost love as a conceptual science, which is all I'll say mm. so that Matt doesn't have the rest of it spoiled. I think sometimes it, it goes into weird kind of like positions that I think it struggles to manage with. But I do I do think McConaughey and his kind of like famous crying sequences in this yeah. are like probably out of all of his films are the bits that kind of like other than Dunkirk is the stuff that really does tug for me. It's the bit early, like there's also the famous one where he's watching the message back, but it's the one early on when he's leaving the house to mm-hmm. go away that gets me and his uh, Murph's just running behind. Um, yeah. God. There's but, some like, like you say, in terms of like like production, fucking hell, this, this is a... <sighs> That big wave film. Oh, good. <laughs> like the idea that you had to like design a new type of physics to be able to know what to mm-hmm. shoot on camera is the thing that got me about this movie. Like, yeah. like design, like changing how people interpret black holes in order mm-hmm. to just make a little American blockbuster movie is, yeah, that's that's exactly. great. Most filmmakers would just make a sci-fi film, whereas he co-wrote it with Kit Thorne, the actual physicist, like, yeah. and like properly made sure to as mar- as far as we know as human beings makes sense <laughs> um and then also yeah. in terms of the mechanics as well like obviously it's quite famous for the docking shot which which obviously mm. involves oh, an awful lot of rotation swells yeah like the music the the miniature does set that he built for that mm. which obviously wasn't exactly miniature it was massive but, <laughs> or the way that all of that connects together it's got I it's it, I mean what it's got is it's got NASA punk in terms of its design style. It's it did that before uh, before Starfield came along, right? Yeah, this is what I want Starfield to be a bit uh, a bit interstellary, if I'm honest. Uh, I, th- I think it's going to be Fallout in space, mate. Yeah, but. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want a bit of interstellar in there. Um, I remember I've seen this film twice in IMAX. Like, if you can see this film whenever they re-release it in IMAX, that's the way to see it. Cause this is the one. Same with Oppenheimer. Incredible in IMAX. I think. Say, yeah, if you see it as Croppenheimer, ah, oh, don't yeah. bother. <laughs> <laughs> um, Interstellar in IMAX is is um, an unbelievable time. I think that didn't it came out? Did it come out like? Uh, let me just check this. I don't want to get this completely wrong. It came out fairly close to Arrival, and I remember both of these films kind of exploring similar things and both of them kind of crushing me in the cinema. Yeah. But, uh, it's yeah. also, actually, if we can have a moment to talk about Arrival, like that's another one of those movies that I saw at just the right time to then think mm-hmm. about the language of filmmaking. Like, yeah. it, it's a film about like the, the assumptions that you make through film language, which yeah. I don't know about interstellar does it have that because i like arrival a lot uh, but also it has a bit of that but not to the same extent. Yeah. but also what i will say there is you know we're continuing we're doing those soon both uh denis Villeneuve and yeah. christopher nolan i think are the two examples of the intelligent blockbuster like what Absolutely. i wish we got i wish we got a few more directors or if they're not they should be best friends yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> i wish we got a few more directors like that but it also i guess the scarcity of those films does make them to a degree what they are right yeah um okay number that was instead of number five number four here's where people are gonna get really angry the prestige is at number that's four. that's mad um <laughs> it's how have we let that happen <laughs> i mean I think I, I, it's mine's, that, it's, it, mine it's was there on my four, list. I think yeah. it's five if you include Oppenheimer on mine. Um, obviously, a brilliant film. None of these are bad films. Anything from seven onwards is a very, very good film. Okay, um, I just, I, I, I love this film to bits. 
It's just the films I have above it on my list and the ones to come are more my type of film and hit harder to me. Films like Dunkirk and Oppenheimer, which I'll pass on this list, but they're more my sort of films. And this film, while I have watched it about 10 times, once you do know the real, it loses a slight bit of the luster. Not much, because it is highly quotable and very enjoyable. But I just... I can't. It did fool me, and I know that's the whole point of the film. The first time, it's are you watching closely? I obviously wasn't, because the next time you watch it, you're like, why didn't? And we're not going to spoil the film, <laughs> okay? I'm just like, why did I never once question this character on screen who I've never seen this actor before in my life? And they, why do they look so weird and never speak? That's what I'm going to say. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, why did I never like it? And it is sort of maybe magic that's the genius that way, of it though, yeah. making exactly that is the i know that's the whole point of the film and maybe i resent it a little because it made me feel stupid <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it is a great film it's a phenomenal film it just doesn't have the scale or it doesn't really have much emotion to it i think and it at the same time doesn't have that it's, it's a nicely shot film it's not a stunningly shot film compared to a lot of his others and again, like the score, I couldn't actually... T- if you play me the prestige score, I don't think I'd actually be able to pick it out. But apart from that, phenomenally plotted film and just very, very fun and could quote it for days. Like, you know, you don't know. It's not a quote, but Hugh Jackman saying, you don't know, is always going to be funny to me. It's got, out of all of the things that then come above it, it's probably got the the most fun ending out of all of yeah. them right like the where that journey takes you uh, but yeah i do agree with you in that i think that every film that we're about to discuss as as great as this film is i think it it's more of a demonstration of just how far the bar goes for nolan as a exactly. filmmaker and than it does it is a slight to- on the prestige because the prestige is brilliant it's brilliant and it does kind of have that parallel with oppenheimer it's like he jumps character it's like we do this but was it worth it? Was the cost worth it? You know, that's it kind definitely of... wasn't worth it. No, you know, it's only an argument with a uh, like a little magic man. It's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's the that's the thing that is really good about it, right? If you know, having not seen Oppenheimer, if Oppenheimer is about people that are having to have like very very frank discussions about changing the world with with kind mm-hmm. of like an atomic bomb, I sort of like the pettiness of the prestige. Yeah. Oh, there is pettiness. There's a great um, bit in Oppenheimer where there it's the scene. It's kind of you. You're laughing out of the horrific nature of like I don't know if this probably verbatim was not the conversation had, but when they're actually choosing like where the two bombs should go in Japan, mm-hmm. and one of them's just like, oh, we can't do Kyoto I vacation there. That's a true quote, by the way. I knew that before the movie, really? and as it happens, I like. And I you're just like you kind of you kind of want to laugh out of embarrassment. You're just like, oh my god! Like, yeah, it's genuinely a true historical fact that they didn't bomb Kyoto because he honeymooned there. Yep. Yeah, great. <laughs> yep. So, uh, but two very different forms of pettiness then. In terms absolutely, of like, yes. Like, like, um, Prestige, unbelievable film. If you haven't seen it, just watch it. People just driving themselves it. to madness over things that don't matter, basically. Yeah. A, f- a very fun, probably his most fun film. Like, mm-hmm. if you wanted a good time. It's not really. Uh, there's well, there's, there's some there's some sad moments, but you know, ultimately a fun film about magic men. Um, not a fun film, but in my eyes, a true masterpiece. We've got it at number three, Dunkirk. I know me and you, Matt P, we are the torchbearers here for Dunkirk specifically. Yeah. Uh, I recently rewatched it at the weekend. 
cried four times. This film just <laughs> hits me like an absolute train. I don't know why. I don't, and I'm not like it's it's the like kind of the jingoistic nature of it. And I'm not a, like a patriotic. I'm not a jingoistic person, but don't think it's I the don't... patriotism of England, right? It's the patriotism of like the human spirit of actually yeah, people coming through in the worst conditions possible to actually do something that matter. Like we're talking mm-hmm. about things that matter. It mattered that people stepped up and, and knowing it brought people is, home. It did happen. I think is what amplifies it right and it is kind of like it's a mixture of happy and sad tears um but i just this is a fun i think just a phenomenally constructed film it's only an hour and 40 minutes as well it's so tightly like just like woven in and not actually i think some people think this film's complicated and it's the way it like kind of constructs time but i i actually don't think on a rewatch i i was fully i think it's the first i knew it's the first time you watch it, right? Like, there's yeah. there's a lot to take in in terms of, like, because of it switching between so many different perspectives that run at mm. different time periods. Um, it And it doesn't tell you at all. Like, there's nothing on screen to explain, really. Like, the, yeah. is, is there, like, a lower third at one point to explain, like... It just goes, like, the mole one week. Like, yeah, a little bit of yeah. white text, yeah. I, th- I think, again, because it, it, he expects a lot of his audience and trusts his audience mm-hmm. to understand it. I think, yeah, the second time you see it, it is very clear what's going on and it's not complicated at all. But I, I do understand that there's a complexity to it the, the first time you watch. score that runs through this film is phenomenal. Just the ticking of the clock. The shepherd's like, tone, right? That's the whole yeah. deal of what this ticks around. I, the shepherd's tone is, is a, a musical kind of construct that it's a single tone but it makes it sound like it's kind of like increasing or decreasing. If you've ever played Mario 64, you'll... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's what he based it on, Mario 64, yeah. Dunkirk. <laughs> Big gamer, uh, Nolan. Uh, but I yeah, just, just, it, it ratchets the tension in this invisible way. and mm-hmm. The it, release it, at the end is just... I think that's what we talked about. That is where the tears come from. Just that yeah. relief, that release, that just... No, you know exactly what's going to happen. But he just... He's a genius at building that tension and that this is like the one one of two times where that emotional relief, that just outpouring, I don't know, it just destroys me. And I'll never forget watching this film in the cinema for the first time. Like as loud like it was so loud. The sound design in this film is unbelievable. You feel kind of a little bit shell shocked like Killian Murphy's character at times. Yeah, the Spitfire stuff is absolutely incredible. Tom Hardy is great, although he's doing a little not doing a bane, it's just because he's got a mask on, but yeah, he's great. And Mark Rylance in this film destroys me. Kenneth Branagh in this film destroys me. Harry Styles in this film, actually not too much of a distraction. Uh, but <laughs> there you go. Um, I just like, I, I just, I love it. It's lovely to see Weymouth. I love Weymouth. <laughs> I've been there a few times for family holidays. But uh, yeah, I, I, I could watch Dunkirk over and over and over again and never get bored. Number three, uh, that was number three, sorry. Number two. I mean, people can know what number one is off this, aren't they? Number two, we do have The Dark Knight. It's just a pretty good, good film, isn't it? Film, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he flipped what, a track, what, didn't he? What has been said about The Dark Knight that we, uh, I mean, he fledges good, isn't he? Yeah, it's, to this day, it's probably the best uh, comic book villain that's ever been on screen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to deny that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's just, again, knows how to open a film. It's basically Heat with the yeah. Joker. Yeah. And I'm just, I couldn't love that anymore. Like, what a statement to make as well. Kind of like, you know, you open your Batman film in the broad daylight, 
mm-hmm. with some dudes in a mask. You you know the whole kind of thing is as you say it's like heat. It's got it's got that tension. It's got that excitement. And then you just at the end of it, you get the reveal of a Joker that's just not like a Joker you've ever seen before. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, just this complete kind of then two and a half hours of this kind of incredible like like deconstruction of kind of like what Batman's relationship with the city and his job is, mm-hmm. how kind of like you know the White Knight to the Dark Crusader kind of elements. And it's like specifically uh, placing it in the time period that it was uh, filmed too, because it's a like it's a thesis on the national control state, mm-hmm. like whether or not somebody should have the ability to you know know everything about you in order to keep you safe. Yeah, it's like it's a movie that you could only make at the time that it was made that still holds up and uh, manages to be the I mean the thing that you draw from for every movie like this in future. Yeah, and it's where I feel like the practical effects work of his really came into its own. Like that truck flip that they actually did is phenomenal. It's quite funny, like watching uh, the bear at the moment, which obviously set in Chicago, being like, "Oh yeah, these are the same streets." Yeah, yeah, totally. like, <laughs> choosing Chicago is a great choice. Gotham, I know he did that in Batman Begins, but it really comes into its own in The Dark Knight. I think. And I wonder if people think that about like Glasgow now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and also you you get him saying where's Rachel, which is just a great line, really, isn't it? There's the yep. pool cue. There's just so many good scenes in this film. Like this this film is just great scene after great scene. And yeah. Gary, do you know what? Shout out to Gary Oldman. I know people love his Gordon, but like I think it's sometimes understated how good his Jim Gordon is. He's he's really. Great I think it's just films. like you really see you know you see the undoing of a lot of characters in this film. You know, obviously the the Harvey Dent story is the big undoing. Yeah. But just watching Gordon, I think, kind of, like, increasingly realise how powerless he is. Like, most of his department is corrupt anyway, so he's, he's relying on very few people. But, like, he's just... He, he's, as a cop, he's got, he's got fuck-all power against anything that's happening here. Yeah. Very, very good film. I don't know, yeah. What else is there to say about The Dark Knight that hasn't been said? Go check it out if you haven't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> a very good film. That means, number one, and I can tell you now that... It topped one, two, three, four of our lists. Not yours, though, Matt J. But uh, our number one film. I'm keeping (laughs) dream alive. (laughs) You kept it real. Number one in our film is Inception. Um, My, I think, 21st favourite film ever. Uh, Just so you know. Uh, It's. I remember. I just. I will always remember. So this came out in 2010. I was 18 when it came out. And for like two years after the Dark Knight, like the, when I saw the Dark Knight in the cinema, I was sixteen. I was like, right, Christopher Nolan is my guy, and I'm sure so did about twenty million other teenage boys in the world. They were like, yeah, this guy. Knows. I love directors. I love Christopher <laughs> yeah. Nolan. I love Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> exactly. And I remember the first trailer, like hearing the rumblings of what Inception was, and then that first trailer where you just see Paris fold out upon itself, and you're like, oh my god, what is this? And then the build-up to seeing this film. This is the cinema. This is the film I've seen the most in the cinema when it first came out. I saw it four times when it was originally out. I will never forget watching this film and having my mind absolutely blown. Just f- watching this film and just let alone writing this film and working out how it all comes together. But even just 
like the concept of this film, like going in someone else's dreams and doing heist, like, like it's just genius. I know he like originally pitched this years and years before, and it was going to be, I think, much more of like a horror film. But then he repitched it as like a a heist thriller, which sounds a lot better. And he just this was like you can tell. I think this is the first film of his where you can tell his lifelong love for James Bond comes through. Because it's kind of a Bond film, but in a sci-fi universe. I have endless love for this film. And I think it's pretty much a perfect film, if you ask me. But there we go. Yeah. What do you guys think? It's, it's <laughs> tremendous. Like, I've already spoken a bit earlier when we were talking about Tenet about some of the things that I really like about uh, about Inception. But I, from a pure directorial you know cinematography all of that it's absolutely incredible you know trust the audience to know what's going on um it's the thinking man's big blockbuster right like that's Mm -hmm. that's that says it all yeah some might say it's his fourth best movie (laughs) (laughs) well it's IGN UK's number one uh Nolan movie but yeah it's just I could I might watch it again I just, I just, I just love this film, and it's. I think it like we talk, we talk a lot about the scores in this film. The Inception score is like, I think head and shoulders above like as handsome as best work, especially the song, well, the piece of music, Time, which yeah. has been used probably in about a thousand pieces in the last ten years. Like, what an emotive piece of music, and the end of that film. I know a lot of people are like, oh, it doesn't end. It's like it definitely ends. That's the point of the film. It's like. I, I've never really truly decided whether I think what the end of that film mm-hmm. really means. I and I don't like really know point, if I need actually, to. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah exactly. the people that kind of like are all like, oh, watch where the wedding ring is and all of this. Yeah, and you've yeah, got yeah. to uh, follow this element through. Yeah. I just feel that kind of spoils the... Yeah. Like, I, the mystery is good. Yeah, yeah. What film? Um, I'm going to watch it again. Absolute genius. You and got he blew a whole up weekend a fort- ahead of you. you blew- I know, he blew up a snowy fortress for real as well. Yeah. What a legend. Uh, yeah, Inception. What a film. I do remember the rumblings when Tenant was releasing, like, is it an Inception sequel? Everyone thought it was like Tenant 2, like, is it in the same world? It actually it really bothered me how uh, everybody was talking about Oppenheimer as if it was in the Tenant universe. Oh, yeah, like, it was like, oh, <laughs> that'd be tasteless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, that would be insane. Imagine mm. if like there's a post credit scene of like Dave, John David Washington's character yeah. turn up and go, we've got to reverse this the whole now. Time. He just yeah. comes through the, the big kind of time rotor yeah. thing that they've got. Wearing a little <laughs> oxygen mask. Yeah. yeah. That would have been awful. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I want to see that your cut favorite. now. Sorry, we yeah. should make. I mean, if, if anybody is interested in something vaguely like that, there is a set of comics called the Manhattan Projects, which is very much a sci-fi reimagining of like the the Los Alamos lab. That's got a bit of that going on in it. If you yeah. really want that, anyway, Horrible. go see Oppenheimer. <laughs> Tell us what you think about it. Tell us what you think is the best Nolan film. IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN I love it when we delve deep and say, it. especially I love as much as Christopher. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Nolan, let's quickly talk about a, a few games we've been trying out. I think maybe, I don't know if you'll be on next week, Matt, but we were going to talk about this next week once we've played it a little bit more. We've played like two to three hours of Remnant 2, which I said we'll briefly talk about this game. I don't think a game has surprised me this much in a long time. I don't know what, I still don't know what I think of this game. All I know is that we both played it for a while, had wildly just ranging experience, highs and lows, and the only word I can come up with at the moment is interesting. Yeah, can, can I'll give our story in microsm. I'll tell, okay. tell the quick version. So, uh, Remnant Two has a dreadful introduction. The first kind of forty minutes of it are the most boring third-person shooter that you could ever play, and then. Me and Cardi, because after you've played the... It's about a 45-minute introduction before you can play in co-op. And then so the end of the tutorial end uh, concludes with you find like this giant thing called the World Stone. And when you touch it, it flings you into a parallel reality. And Remnant uh, is kind of a, a multiverse story in, in a certain amount. And anyway, um, Cardi has, has found him, him himself uh, you know, trying to find his way to my game and he's talking some bullshit about a palace <laughs> that i've no idea what he's talking about anyway i get him into my game and we're walking around a forest that really is quite dull it's just a lot of kind of uh glades between thicketed kind of corridors and like well we we fight a boss and it's got this kind of dark souls with guns element which i understand that the first game was basically that as well and whilst that boss fight is good, I think in general we're a bit kind of confused by it, and it feels a bit like a game from about a little bit aimless. Yeah, yeah. It feels like a game from about like a B tier game from about fifteen years ago. Anyway, car, we we then have a cr- I have a hard crash, and so I have to come back in. But I go into Cardi's game instead. Well, it turns out that when you touch this world stone at the start of the game, it can fling you to a number of different realities. There's not a set, like, progress for this game. Mm. And Cardi ended up in something that's a lot like Boletaria Palace from Demon Souls. <laughs> and this place, right, whereas the, the woods that I was in was full of kind of, like, almost kind of, like... Um, tree-like monsters they were kind of almost, almost like, like made biblical out of... angels in a way like well, yeah weird. yours yours looked like the angels out of yeah, yeah. diablo yeah and like, there were knights in there and so we went more interesting yeah <laughs> and as we the further we went through the you know at the start it felt like okay you're going through kind of like this palace that's got corridors and and you know rooms and we're killing enemies and kind of like picking up loot and stuff like that it's got a looter shooter element but we then found a pile of bones in which, when we used it, a little jester man <laughs> jumped out of it. And every time you interacted with him, he did a dance. And then, after we'd done a few dances, he gave us a quill that we had no idea what it was. It turned out the quill you could use to complete the drawing of a door on a wall. And then this door opens. And then we get to, I'll let you, Cardi, explain uh, yeah, the chess we master. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I went to this area that was full of enemies and then sitting at the end of this like like grid of three by three rooms is this man who just wants to kind of play you this weird like chess puzzle game 
So like, I sat there, and every time you lose that game, by the way, you get cursed, which is a bit like in Souls like games where a portion of your health bar just disappears. So I lost that like four times in a row, thinking this game, this chess game, must be impossible here. They want you to work out a different way. Then we spent about half an hour running around trying to kill enemies, thinking there must be a, a clever solution. Went back to the chessboard and I just beat him. Uh, <laughs> somehow worked it out, and then we got a magic bow, which then is is kind of cool. And then we opened another door of a quill that took us into Bloodborne, essentially. <laughs> and we fought a woman on a horse who destroyed us. Um, I don't like... So the first hour or so we played this game, I was like, this is bad. What is this? Yeah. Second hour we played this game, I was like, I want to play a lot more of this. What's going on here? <laughs> like, we've given this game a 9 out of 10. And I, I trust our, our reviewer that there is a lot to love in this game. It just seems a lot of it might be a little bit by chance like because this game we've described it a bit is a souls like co-op souls like with guns you can play it solo with like gear like elements a little bit of borderlands to it a little bit of like outriders actually is probably more appropriate and but the hook of it is it's not really a story it is a story game but it's procedurally generated like it randomly generates the level and the enemies and the story within it so like you can have a completely just as we've proven here if we'd carried on in Matt's game, we probably would have dropped it pretty quickly. Yeah. If we hadn't jumped into my game, which is actually like I'd happily play a few more hours like in the world I'm in. And you obviously have to visit all five of these worlds, I think, eventually in order to finish mm-hmm. the game. But it's potluck which one you end up in first. You can re-roll the campaign. But like the one we ended... Yeah, it's just... I've, it's rare. I think we said it. It's rare you play a game. You're like, I've not played anything like this before. It's like there's the randomization, which from, uh, you know, obviously Travis, who wrote our reviews, played an awful lot more of it than, yeah. than we have, from which I understand from him that there's like an A and a B plot scenario, and those scenarios have individual elements that can be randomized, plus the randomization of the levels. I also found out that the the land that I was in, which is this kind of like like this weird alien forest world, Depending on the role that you have, that world doesn't look like an alien forest world. It can look like a bunch of caverns, or it can look like a bunch of almost like <laughs> big sections floating in the sky. I'm like, I'm puzzled as to how you give an objective review of this. It's, it must like, be. You must you? Have, I think the idea of these games, like, I didn't play um, Remnant 101, you played a tiny bit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had about two hours of it and, yeah. and liked what I saw, but not enough to actually. I know the teach. idea is kind of the replayability of it. And that obviously the procedural elements of it build into that, but I'm just so confused. Yeah, that like it's it's bold from them is what I'd say because like you could so easily like for a game like there's not people don't have a lot of time. You could easily if it was me who bought this like game, I might have bounced off it if I were you, Matt, and like yeah. played a couple hours of that. If I was in my world, I'd be playing it for a lot more. It's like I'm so confused. Like it's I kind of really really respect it, and I want to play it more. I don't. There's things about I'm not sure about. Like I don't know. If, I'm never going to finish this game. I can tell you that now. Mm-hmm. But I do want to play a bit more because it's fundamentally like the shooting's fine. Like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, the, the shooting's pretty, pretty good. The one thing that I really like about it is I like it just how like bizarre it is. You've not. Yeah. It's not just the construction of the game that it's. But as I say, like just finding like this little jester dude that that eventually gives you a thing, or this completely silent man that sits at a chessboard, and you have to play like this match yeah. three chess game. Well, also in that forest, we found like a big water puzzle, which 
was actually like quite it seemed like a fairly complex puzzle well, for a game that's a third person shooter which we weren't expecting and this is the thing you described you were like i didn't expect it to have bits of mist in it and <laughs> and to mad. me there's almost kind of like it's got a little bit of jim henson like labyrinth in it in that kind yeah, of like yeah. you just find these freaks that do it's waffle like Pan's on. labyrinth yeah yeah they they do waffle on a little bit in terms of like there's clearly a lot of lore and from what i understand from our review you do have to play like several roles of the campaign to understand the entirety of the law. Mm. But they're quite beautifully designed creatures, like really weird character designs. Um, and it's just, I like that suddenly, like you could be just going around basically doing Borderlands style third person shooting, bang, 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 everything's dying, you're picking up some loot. And then suddenly you spend half an hour where you're trying to, I uh, say, like we, we've got this giant, like, rotating drum that we had to match symbols on and put yeah. like rods through holes it's very very strange and i kind of like how weird it is yeah i'm i've i've not had an opening few hours of a game hit me like this in a while where i'm like gone from thinking this is a five or six to maybe this is an eight or not like, i don't know what I'd, i i need to play a lot more of this obviously and I, I think we will play a bit more next week and maybe report in again but like it's truly unique i think in terms of you know it's 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 a, it's a game that's set in the multiverse right and we've kind of had a few multiverse projects recently you know when we talk about um multiverse madness from mm. um from marvel that kind of never felt like it was weird like like it's just, it's just doctor strange and there's a couple of different areas that like oh new york's got some big flowers on it now whereas this genuinely does feel like oh these multiverses really do have like it's clearly not got endless potential but it's got a huge amount of variation, and each experience could be quite different. Yeah, I'd um, I'd I would say yeah, I'd, I'd check it out. It's not on Game Pass, I don't think. It, it strikes me as a good ga- Game Pass game. You'd want to try and try it out, but yeah, um, yeah, it's one of those where I hesitate to say go out and buy it because like you might I have just a bad don't time. Know. Yeah, yeah, you might have a really bad time, and yes, you can obviously re-roll your campaign so you can start again and hopefully have better luck. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely know what you're getting i would feel very bizarre imagine if you just didn't know what i mean exactly like that's what, what we, we did were. like i didn't do my research and i didn't know too much about the first one mm-hmm. apart i just thought it was like a soul's light with guns yeah i yeah. thought i didn't realize there was all this to it so right. yeah i'm is it very intriguing i think it's out today yeah. um absolutely good good on uh gunfire games for just yeah trying something this weird yeah i'm into it uh you know try it a bit more briefly we've been trying out a couple other things uh matt you've been i'm jealous uh i'm jealous i haven't had time to do it yet you've been visiting melee island i believe i have yes so uh sea of thieves obviously are doing their the legend of monkey island um thing at the moment it's split up into three chapters of which i think they're doing a chapter a month and it's the first chapter this month um which yes you um you you start on a new tall tale where you meet Captain Kate Capsize from Monkey Island 2 <laughs> and she sends you off on a journey to try and find Guybrush and this first one is set on Melee Island and it is absolutely lovingly perfectly realised I, you know, Good. if it's not been clear on previous podcasts, Monkey Island is one of my favourite games mm-hmm. of all time um, and the recreation of this the music and it's the right music in the right locations <laughs> and it does the iMuse style thing where it fades the music the, the music in and out between the two different oh, sorts oh very nice um you go to 
every every single place that you could do something in. So like you know, you you have to jump off the pier because the you know like how mm-hmm. Guybrush goes down the pier yeah. to get some stuff off the sh- off the floor. You go down there. You go into the scum bar. Like everybody that's in the scum bar in the original game is there, including the Loom guy. The yes. Loom guy is there, and he'll tell you about Loom. <sighs> is the Swordmaster there? Uh, I've not met the Swordmaster yet, but oh. I get the uh, so the. It's clearly built. It's it's one tall tale at the moment that will be one of three. But this tall tale is obviously built into chapters, and at the moment I can only go in like the main section of the town. Okay. So I'm in like the high street where like the voodoo lady is, mm-hmm. and the the pirates of low moral fiber and the, and the mansion. Uh, yes, the mansion. I've been in the mansion now. You know, there's the piranha poodles are there. But the thing that I re- like, I think this is a really really good use of Sea of Thieves. And the thing I really love about it is, is so I played a couple of years ago when they did the Pirates of the Caribbean one, and I thought that was genuinely pretty good. This is completely different to that because what it is, is it's a Monkey Island game that is played in Sea of Thieves. So there's a little bit of action that's been in it so far, but it is a puzzle game. It is you going from place to place, talking to people, picking items up, taking items to other places, fitting them together. It's a LucasArts adventure game. There's a little bit of combat. So you've got, okay. um, so I've had um, to very, very mildly spoil it. Uh, you get some root beer and you can spray root beer oh. on ghost pirates to make them explode. <laughs> so there's a touch of combat, but it is mostly just walking around Melee Island like you do in the Monkey Island games. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly in the secret of Monkey Island. And solving puzzles, talking to people, working out how to get into new areas that are locked off, working out how to break Otis out of jail. <laughs> Because he's stuck in jail again, yeah, yeah. Um, and so all of all of kind of those elements, um, it does slip up a little bit here and there. So a couple of the puzzles rely on you having pieces of eight to buy things from the general store, yeah. Um, and those pieces of eight, you just have to like scour the world for. You just have to go around and pick them up. There are a couple of times where getting pieces of eight is a puzzle, like you might have to try and convince someone to look aside while you steal pieces of eight from them. But there is quite a lot of just like roaming around, opening boxes, yeah. trying to find money so that you can buy things that you need from the general store. But outside of that, I do think like the quest design feels fairly... It's authentically Monkey Island as far as they can do with the mechanics of Sea of Thieves. Like, it's not a point-and-click directly, because obviously you're playing it in first person, but they are using the tools that Sea of Thieves has to make LucasArts-style puzzles. I'm absolutely going to play this. Do you have any idea how long it is? I mean, I played it for about two and a half to three hours last night, and I've Mm -hmm. only got... I would imagine somewhere between halfway and three quarters of the, uh, and two thirds oh, of the way through it. Sorry, there's plenty there, and it's my thinking. Like weirdly for CFAs, CFAs, which is a big card game. This is single player only, isn't it? Uh, no, you can play it with oh, other can people. You? I it was yeah, only yeah. Player. But what I would say, it is single player in that kind yeah. of like because it's doing Monkey Island style puzzles. There's not any case of like two people working together to complete a puzzle. It mm-hmm. is very much kind of like everything to do is you do on your own but you know it's it's not required any sailing yet because like you sail to melee island and i've not set foot on the boat since and sailing is where you really do need multiple people to make the sailing kind of like Mm -hmm. you know work well um but yeah i i it really it tugs at the nostalgia in me so much it is 
is made by people that love Monkey Island as much, yeah, if yeah. not more, than I do. And the voice cast is there. Like, when I walked into the general store and it's the guy that plays the general store in the <laughs> remake of Monkey Island 1, it's all these sort of things that I could not stop smiling. Yeah. I'm absolutely going to play this. Can't wait. And it's free, right? As well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, if, if, I mean, if you've got Game Pass or if you own Sea of Thieves, it is free. Yeah, amazing. Incredible. Love it. Uh, I've also quickly been playing a new puzzle game called Viewfinder, which I'm sure it's been around for years, like little clips, this game trailers. There's yeah, recently a, demo a Steam the, demo. Uh, yeah, 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 which yeah. I played a little bit of as well. And um, it's, it's bloody good. Yeah, this is... I'm only halfway through. I think it's a short game. It's like three or four hour game. Mm-hmm. I played like an hour and a half or so last night and I'm about halfway by the looks of it. Um, if you're looking for something to scratch that portal itch, this is the game for you, I think. And it's got a bit of the witness to it, which is one of my favorite games ever like but cardi how does it work oh so i tell you how it works it's kind of it's it develops the more you go along but the basics of this game are you're picking up polaroid pictures of places then you place those polaroid pictures in the world to create basically portals to those worlds in the polaroids or bring things into that world that you need to complete puzzles in your world basically and it's so much easier if you look at five seconds, it is this really game, intuitive. It yeah, you'll know. Yeah, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, you'll know exactly what's happening if you just look at what this game is, rather than me trying to explain it badly. So far, I'm really enjoying it. I really think it's great. I, I love a puzzle game like this, and it's also a great way of mixing art styles. So, like these Polaroids, sometimes like you can go into a cartoon world and be like a sketched world, and like it's a really just like ingenious, clever way of doing that. The puzzles so far have been challenging, but never to the point where like I've spent maybe at most five to ten minutes on one like it's been a good that good level of satisfying but never like i have no idea what i'm doing here the last one i did i was like that's really really clever like again like when we talk about how does nolan write these films i'm thinking like it's tough enough to solve some of these puzzles I'm like how do you even think yeah, about how to construct them? puzzles like this that like it's just constantly surprising the one downside to it i think i'm not into the story and it kind of has this semi annoying narration going on the whole time and i'm like the beauty of the witness to me is just i'm alone with my thoughts like there's no music there's nothing whereas this kind of it's got this like story it's trying to tell with this person talking to you the whole time i'm like i'd rather if you just didn't speak to me and just let me see this is the this is interesting because um i I, i've known about viewfinder for a while and like i've seen all the stuff but the one thing i didn't realize is that it hadn't that it got a story and i was initially put off by the idea of like i really liked the idea of the puzzles but i was like i'd probably want something that uh, give me a little bit more of a hook Mm -hmm. to pull it through because I'm not into The Witness because I don't like the isolation of The Witness. Oh, okay. Whereas in Portal, where you've got a bit more kind so of this narration. this is much more Portal-like. Yeah. yeah, you're being like led through like, oh, this is like, yeah, is, okay. Is it cosy Portal? That's what I got the impression <laughs> a of. A little bit, yeah. And yeah, I think that's like, my vibe. I think I'm yeah, into yeah. that. Oh, I think it's very, very clever. Mm-hmm. And I'm only halfway through. I imagine it's going to get more complex. But I'm having a great time so far. And you can pet a lot of cats in it. You can collect rubber ducks and stuff there, like there that. There we go. If you can pet yeah. cats, it's already bought. I mean, it literally yeah. is. I have already bought it. It's just waiting yeah, yeah. to get I around to it. Last time I played a bit. It's yeah, I haven't finished it yet. But yeah, if you're uh, need to scratch that uh, itch, super liminal. Uh, yes. I did, I, and I yeah. didn't. Lo- I thought I'd love it. I didn't in the end. I adored it. I also played yeah. the maquette 
2, which is a little bit similar to this, which I thought was quite bad. Yeah, yeah I, I, I thought Maquette was very average. Yeah, I, uh, I got I got about like two hours. In, well, probably probably Maquette's only about two hours, isn't it? I, I only maybe got an hour, yeah. then it didn't do it for me. I uh, My instant thoughts are Viewfinder's better than both of those. Nice. But not quite Portal or The Witness. Mm. Somewhere in that middle ground. But yeah, very good. Check it out. Um, let's get on to some we've all been talking a while I mean, let's go on to some of your feedback quickly IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com who's got the first one? Oh, it's me um, I've got one here from Tom Crump Hi, says Tom hello Crump. hello I'm not Tom Crump don't know why I'm saying hello to you uh, hello IGN welcome back to my emails as per <laughs> last week's discussion about the best name for a gladiator I have the one and only correct answer Striker inspired by the seminal novel novel by author Steve Bruce. This is going to go over your guys' heads, isn't it? Steve the Bruce, West the footballer, manager. wrote... Yeah, yeah he, uh, he wrote... He also wrote a, a football book called Striker, um, which is meant to be quite bad, I think. Um, I'll be taking no further questions, Tom says. Respect the sea. P.S. Enjoy James Madison. See you at the King Power in 24-25. Little football reference there, guys. Uh, Spurs just signed James Madison from Leicester, uh, mm. and I will enjoy him, hopefully, very much. That's from Tom Crump. There we go. We um, we neither of you guys were on last week when we talked about gladiator names. Were you? Matt was. Were you? Was I? I can't yeah. remember. <laughs> what was your gladiator? Oh no, you were. It was torpedo. Yeah, talk about what I your think, gladiator. Name oh no, it was missile. Was your name? It was oh, and didn't you say wolves? Because wolf because wolf, of the wolf, Wolverine. Hampton. Yeah, 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 Wolverines. Your little wolf. Um, do you have one, Matt? Do you have, have I you did. Been I thought about, about this, this after I listened to the episode. I think it's javelin. Oh, okay. Why? I don't Just, know. Why not? <laughs> no, I uh, I asked my partner this after I'd listened to the episode. I was like, what would your um, gladiator name be? Uh, and she couldn't come up with one for herself, but said, oh, no, you're Javelin. <laughs> why not? Yeah. Um, I think we've got another one uh, email along those lines. Mm-hmm. This one's from Billy Savage, who says, Hi, guys. I've only just begun listening to this a few weeks ago, and I'm a first-time emailer. And found that it's freaking awesome. That's very kind of you, Billy. I look forward to every Friday to listen to your podcast as well as IGN's Game Scoop. Very kind. Uh, based off last week's podcast, my gladiator name would be The Savage, as my second name is Savage. <laughs> I it doesn't really match that my one personality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like Wolf's name was Wolf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, love listening to you guys, and I hope... Uh, to be doing something similar to you in my future career. What I love about this email, I'd like to put a little pin in this. Imagine okay. 10 years from now, we're uh, like working alongside Billy Savage and we're like, oh, you remember the days we just emailed in to the IGN UK podcast? I mean, I had that like, about t- 10 years ago. I wrote in. Uh, I can't remember if that email was ever dug out. Dug out, but I I'm think sure. it was anything to. Ooh, that's, I think it was talking about us. what my. I think it was talking about what my uh, Indian takeaway order is. Uh, but yeah. I haven't changed, have I? There we go. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it could be you. There we go. And one more email of the Matt. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so this one's from Gareth Bentley, who says, Hi, squad. Love all, that you, uh, love all that you do to keep the world entertained. On Prime Day, I bought a Starfield machine, also known as an Xbox Series S, for £150 after following the IGN UK Deals Twitter page. As you Shout well out- Shout out to that guy. He's doing incredible things for my hobby, but horrible things to my wallet. We will pass on the kind regards to Rob. Um, he says, I have a PS5 and 
and all the amazing uh he loves all the amazing uh third person action rpg adventure games that they have things like uh god of war ghost of tsushima horizon etc having had a look at game pass i can't really seem to find anything to compare over the mass effect which i've already played can you recommend any similar titles on xbox to satisfy me before i absolutely throw myself into the starfield galaxy cheers and keep up the good work I cannot um, believe that what? they've given me an opportunity to do the meme again, which is just play the Yakuza games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean... It's a good option. My, I made a little list. So so my main, like, unfortunate hard truth is that basically the PlayStation is the place for third-person action RPGs. And, X, and Xbox doesn't really have a lot, like, particularly over the PS4 era. It no. was distinctly made that, like, if you wanted those sort of games, that's where you went. You went to PlayStation. And there's not that many, really, on, on Xbox. I, um, I scoured the full Game Pass list, and I've got a few suggestions. Is one of them Sunset Overdrive? It is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I if think you're that's into the... Spider-Man, then you'll be into that. Well, it's made by the same developer, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's the closest to that sort of, that kind of, like, open-world action-adventure hybrid vibe that sort of yeah. PlayStation has cornered. I will say another one is, I wouldn't necessarily say go from the start and play it more, but Gears 5 has a little bit of it. It's a third-person shooter, open world, good story, and looks beautiful. So, like, Gears 5 is one worth checking out. Um, you're not going to get... It has also, like, the sled thing from God of War Ragnarok, if you enjoyed that. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I do think that Gears 5 is great. I really like Gears 5, um, yeah. and in general, like the like the Gears of War uh, series as a whole. Um, it's definitely not like God of War. You're not going to get... No, you're not, you're not going to get the same sort of stories. On Xbox, they have a different vibe. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a couple of, like... I do actually think it's, it's a little different, but if you didn't play Psychonauts 2, I think Psychonauts 2 mm -hmm. is brilliant. And it has a that does have a good story and great characters. It's more of a third-person like action platformer, but it is very, very, very good. I'd recommend Psychonauts 2. I didn't 2. like it as much as the first one, which I, really? I'm not sure oh, if that's on I Game Pass. Psychonauts 2. I, don't think, I don't think they've got any of like the very early kind of Xbox games on mm. Game Pass. It was definitely on like Games with Gold at one point, mm. and you yeah, can might, buy it. Yeah, it might be. Uh, I'm guessing it's backwards compared. There's yeah, also... Yeah. Mm -hmm. On Game Pass are both Plague Tale games, which are kind of like, you know, a B-tier level Naughty Dog experience. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, And also, I always like to shout it out in case you never played it. Watch Dogs 2 is there. Play yeah. Watch Dogs 2. It's great. Is uh, Watch Dogs 2 on Game Pass at the moment? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah I've like, played 2, actually. Yeah. Oh, 2 is brilliant. absolutely... It's like one of the best games that Ubisoft has made in like the last kind of 15 years, basically. Yeah, I love it. Amazing, amazing vibes. I love being there brilliant uh and then uh i thought you might shout this one out it's all the dishonored games they're kind of you know if you're looking for an action rpg yeah they're there yeah yeah they are they are i say like they don't immediately come to mind when we speak no. of kind of like the playstation exclusives but, but if you were looking for something to i guess break a little bit into that side of stuff mm -hmm. absolutely uh, they're as as close as i could get from looking at all those lists yeah but yeah hopefully it, one of those does you well yeah, yeah if you ignore like all of that play mm -hmm. yakuza like a dragon oh yeah all the yakuza games are good as well <laughs> play them yeah good stuff um we're obviously going to play some oppenheimer music at the end here because there are many boppenheimers in the oppenheimer uh soundtrack oh, uh, gareth also said by the way because we were covering um, oh, yeah. filming Sorry. locations he says p.s i went to cardiff university at the same time they were filming matt smith's ah. doctor who and they used our lecture halls and campuses all the time having go. i'm currently on a complete rewatch of doctor who and Why? Uh, mm. because doctor like 
Doctor Who's fucking incredible. Like this is a. I don't talk about Doctor Who much on this yeah. show because I'm aware that it can uh, can have ups and and downs with people's opinions. But mm. um, the the Matt Smith era is very very good. And I'm, is that where you're uh, at at the minute? No, no. I'm I'm two episodes away from the end of the Capaldi era, Ooh. which actually means that we're about to go into a down a significant downswing. No, Unfortunately, well, Chris I'm Chibnall's for writing for Jodie Whittaker was not very good. Did you uh, did you thread the Torchwood episodes? Uh, uh, I've not, no. <laughs> largely because I only think that there's only one good season of Torchwood, which is that mm. one where they showed an episode a day for a week. Um, but hey-ho. Yeah. There we go. There we go. A little bit of Dot 2 chat for you there uh, to end things. <laughs> Should we uh, listen to some really menacing music? Why not? Okay. Go on. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Once upon a time, there was a girl who dreamed of flying through the stars, who dared to resist injustice, who lived to a beat and a rhythm that was all her own. Her name was Chloe, Frida, Oprah, Celia Cruz, Josephine, Greta, Ruth, Alice. One day, she wondered, could today be the beginning of something new? This was her one opportunity to do something, something big. So that's exactly what she did. Along the way, she discovered that she wasn't alone. Her body felt strong, her mind sharp. She was prepared to work as hard as it took. Her words were making a real change, and she felt powerful. I'm Gail King. I'm Andrea Day. I'm Diane Gibbons. I'm Lindsay Vaughn. I'm Jamila Jamal. I'm Anita Hill. I'm Brenda Chapman. I'm Alana Glazer. And this is Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or find out more at rebelgirls.com slash audio.